Hey guys, and welcome to a, another episode of the Pericles Podcasting Club. And uh, today I'm going to be interviewing my good friend, Sam Montague. I've known this guy for a long time. He's an amazing dude. And uh, I can't wait to learn everything about him to uh, reveal his secrets. How are you doing, Sam? I'm doing great. Um, I'm a little tired, but I'm really excited about this this podcast. Um, and yeah, let's yeah. get started. I've, uh, I've trapped this man in my cave in my room. I've got some ambiance here. and uh, Let's get So what is your origin story, Sam? What is... How did you become, you know, who you are at Stanford? What did you, what was some of your process? What are some of your stories? That's uh, really interesting, dude. It sounds like uh, an anime, like, uh, story type of yeah, thing. Yeah, like, yeah uh, you, get, like, you get, like, your back. The background that takes yeah. the, the villain. The, yeah. <laughs> yeah. the like, the training and everything is into it. Uh, no, nah, no, nah, mine is not new. It's exciting. But uh, I was born in Colombia in uh, 2001. And, uh... Yeah, so I lived with my, my family there for a while. My dad was an architect, and uh, my mom was a stay-at-home mom, like, worked uh, remotely. And um, we were doing pretty well off. And then towards, like, closer to, like, the recession, like, 2008 and that, uh, my dad's job wasn't doing too good. He had his own, like, uh, firm. And, uh, yeah, money became pretty tight. Um, but I was pretty good at school. I enjoyed doing stuff with numbers. I wasn't really social. Really? Um, I, don't, I don't believe that. No, no, I wasn't. Like, I could talk to, like, adults, kind of. It's like that kid, but uh, when it came to, like, kids my own age, I kind of struggle because we would, like, play soccer and stuff, and instead of, like, playing soccer, I would, like, sit down and, like, play with the dirt or shit like that. Um, yeah. One time I was, like, in third grade and asked a girl out, and uh, she rejected me and uh, told, told me she was too young to go out with me. Dang. And uh, I was kind of hurt. Dang, <laughs> yeah. dang man. Yeah, you had moves in third grade. I didn't, nah. ask, I didn't ask anyone out until I was in my junior year of high school. I was I was a late bloomer. <laughs> <laughs> the latest. But I mean, I'm curious, like, so in terms of, like, stay-at-home mom, do you think that's better? Because my mom, my mom worked, so both my parents worked, and I've always wondered, like, the difference there. Um... Better or I don't I mean it's it's complicated right so it's it depends I I think it depends on everybody Mm -hmm. right so one of the great things is that like I had my mom around all the time which is pretty great uh coming back from school like like she cook for me and like she teach me stuff and it's pretty nice um and a lot a lot of kids sometimes you know they might be pretty wealthy but they don't get to spend too much time with their family because their parents are really busy working uh with that being said uh. I personally like hardworking women, mm-hmm. so I don't think my future uh, spouse and uh, mother of my kids, hopefully, will be a stay-at-home mom. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. I don't, I don't think it's worse or better. Uh, I think, yeah, I don't think it's worse or better. I had role models who were female in my life yeah. in all different kinds of fields. So it isn't like I was ingrained to think that women have to stay at home. Mm-hmm. No, on the contrary, I actually like, grew up next to like really hardworking women. Yeah. And my mom still worked. Uh, she just worked from home. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, there's just those benefits. You know, there's the benefits of having your parents around all the time and like spending quality time with them and so forth and uh, getting really close to your parents. But I guess the downside is, you know, you, your house will make less money. And uh, you become a little more dependent on, on having your mom around sometimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's hard to like, detach when you're young. You know, those kids are, like cry when their mom is not around and stuff. So, yeah. 
I mean, so wait, when did you become extroverted then? Because like for me, like I would say through like elementary school, like I was pretty extroverted until like, I think there was a moment in, in elementary school, right? I just like, you know, I'm just like started going, I just reading all the time and I'm like, I don't have the time to talk. I'm just going to be reading. Um, so I became like sort of less social for a bit, um, until like maybe like later high school ish. But I'm curious for you, like what made you, what was the turning point? Yeah, so for me, it was uh, when we moved to the U.S., I started working with my parents. Uh, so my parents have a food cart, as mm-hmm. I've told you before. But before the food cart, we would go to like farmer's markets and sell Colombian food on the weekends uh, to make some money. And uh, my parents, they still don't speak too much English. And so I was kind of like the translator and I worked as a cashier and stuff. And, uh, you know, it was that kind of awkward silence when like you take a customer's order and they're waiting for their food and like it's just you and like the customer and they're just waiting for the food and it's just kind of weird mm-hmm. and I, I didn't like that silence and so in order to combat that silence I would talk to the customer okay. right I would, I would ask them about their life like get to know them uh, what do they do how they get there and it's cool you, you meet people from all over the world uh, you get to meet completely different life stories like some people uh, come from like the middle, middle of nowhere um, like Florida or Kansas or something and some other people are from like Saudi Arabia or like Italy and they're here visiting family um, some people are lawyers some people work on the street some people own another food cart and it was really cool to, to get to know those people and so I, I became really good at talking and especially growing up I would see people struggle to maintain a conversation or talk to someone and I didn't struggle because since I was like 10 years old uh I have to develop the skills to avoid that awkward silence. Mm. Uh, and also, like, growing up, something that's, like, really impactful to me is my mother and my dad will always tell me to look into people's eyes when I talk to them. So, like, if someone asked me, like, if someone's talking to me, my mom will, like, nudge me, like, pinch me, like, look into, like, look at their eyes, you know? So that's something that's pretty impactful there, too. How would you describe yourself as a person? How would I describe myself? Yeah. Um, you know, that's a tough question, right? Uh, but I would describe myself as someone who who is hardworking, hardworking and has a lot of dreams. But I, um, I'm a very caring person, but I'm also like lazy. Like I, I, I don't work well without like deadlines or structures. Yeah. So I have a lot of plans and ideas for things I want to do, like personal projects. But the fact that, like, I don't have a deadline for it makes it very hard for me to work on those projects. Yeah. And so a lot of times when I'm in, like, teams, I let people down because I don't get my side of the stuff done. Right. Because there's no deadline. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's, that's, that's the tough part. Yeah, like, for me, like, I can't have, like, a, like, oh, I'm just going to do this every day. Like, oh, I'm just going to go run every day. I need, like, a goal. So, like, it needs to be attached to, like, something. And then I can spend, like, hours every day moving towards that one goal. But, like, if you just give me, like, a schedule, like, I, I just can't, I can't do, I can't maintain that. Yeah, yeah, but I think, I think it's, like, for me, it's not, like, the schedule. It's, like, for example, when you're given an assignment, like, mm-hmm. right? Like, okay, read this book by this deadline. Or, like, did your grade depend on it? Mm-hmm. Like, you're going to get it done, right? Even if you get it done the night before, you're going to get it done. Yeah. But when you're trying to do, like, your own thing, let's say you want to build, like, a fence or something, I don't know. Or, like, you, you want to design... Uh, a new video game 
there's no deadline. Nobody's going to punish you. You're not going to get graded down for not making the video game. And so some people are able to just, like, get to it, and I, I can't. I'd rather just, like, lay down and watch some, like, movies or something. <laughs> I get you. I get you. And uh, that's the one thing that I've been struggling with. And, um, yeah, it's been the one thing that I've been, like, really upset with myself uh, with lately. It's not being able to have, like, that self. You got to whip yourself into shape. Power, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But besides that, though, I think I'm a pretty just like normal uh, person. I like to try a lot of things. It's mm-hmm. so, like I, that's why I got into snowboarding. I like to do surfing now too, and like I just I did bungee jumping over spring break, which is really cool. And uh, yeah, I just like anything that's like outdoorsy, like sporty, or like uh, requires physical exertion. If like there's a way to try it, I'm totally down. Like something that I really want to try, it's hydrofoiling. I don't know if you've seen it, but what it's is crazy. What so is it's. That? It's like a surfboard. Mm-hmm. Uh, so imagine like a surfboard that has like a hydrofoil underneath it. What's a hydrofoil? It's like a wing. Okay. So have you ever seen that airplane? How an airplane has like wings and stuff? Yeah. Imagine like that. Or, or like how race cars have like the wings in the back like that, but it's a lot smaller. And the reason it's a lot smaller is because water is denser than air. So you don't need a big surface area to create lift. Okay. And so it's really cool. Like you get enough speed and then the hydrofoil lifts the surf. So like the surfboards... So the surfboard is like one or like one to like a few feet off the water, and then the hydrofoils it's attached to it, right? There's like a there's like a like a rod mm-hmm. that attaches the bottom of the surfboard to the hydrofoil, and that gives like space. And so if you have enough speed, you just keep going. And the cool thing is there's two types. Where there's electric ones where you just have like a controller and like you just propels and you just like ride waves infinitely. Mm-hmm. And there's like the mechanical type where you pump it. So like you jump up and down, like you move your foot up and down to give that speed. And then you just, you just go, it's like infinite surfing. And then when you catch a wave, you don't have to pump anymore. And the wave, you just ride the wave. And then whenever you're done riding the wave, you just pump it again and then you keep going. And it's, it looks like, it'll, if you look at a video of it, it's insane. It's supposed, it's apparently really hard to like get, 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 be able to do it. But once you get it, it's, uh, it's insane. You ever see those videos of the guys with like the water jetpacks? That's, that's what I'm thinking. It looks really cool. That's kind of what I want to do. I want to try that one too. Wait, so how'd you get into aerospace? You're, doing, you're studying aerospace. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 So, um, like, why not, like, computer science, like, half of the campus here? Yeah, so basically, I always like building and designing stuff. Mm-hmm. I like medicine a lot too, actually, but I always like building and designing stuff. And I think when you think of the aerospace industry, it's, like, the craziest stuff, right? Like, when you're a civil engineer, like, let's say you build a bridge... That's interesting. Like it's not, it's not, it's not boring. It's pretty interesting. But you know, all bridges are the same, right? Like all bridges are the same. And then on top of that, there's so many, there's so much regulation that if you want to do something new with a bridge, it would take you like insane amounts of time. Not to say that the airspace industry is not regulated, but like it's different. But when you do, especially like astronautics, like aeronautics, it's pretty well developed. You know, there's stuff, there's a lot of stuff to do there, but it's pretty well developed. But astronautics, you like spaceships satellites stuff like that like it's, it's insane like the amount of opportunities to do new things in that field is just mesmerizing just, like you have to build something that has to overcome the gravity of earth and get into orbit or just you know get into a type of orbit right mm-hmm. so that in itself is a tough tough thing to do you need to make it so it's safe because it's so expensive you need to make it as light as possible 
And then once it gets into orbit, you need to make sure it's resistant to radiation from the sun, to particular matters, like to everything. So the, the constraints that like putting something in space gives you, like get, when, when you have all those constraints, it means you have to engineer the fuck out of something. Like you right. have to engineer the shit out of it. Like you have to engineer something that's insane. You top of your game. Exactly. And I think when you have more, the more constraints you have, the more creative you become. So I think it's a very creative industry because you have to come up with creative solutions in order to, to fight those constraints. Mm-hmm. Right. So that's why you have, for example, the new telescope, the new James Webb telescope, yeah. like it folds out. It's, it's all like origami. It's, it's, it's all creative. And then you look, for example, at like, um, how solar panels fold out. You know, that's also like origami or origami. It's, it's creative. You look at plasma propulsion, you look at how we're going to provide power to, to a spacecraft. You know, if you're away from the sun, they use nuclear reactors. Right. And so there's a whole bunch of things like now they're looking into so- solar sails. So like the, the, photon, the photons from the sun. That's crazy to me though. Would just like power you. And it's, it's insane. And you reach speeds that are crazy. And then when you have to land in another planet or something, you have to like, work with the atmosphere of that planet and that creates so many more constraints. If you look at the Mars landing, it was like just a fucking phenomenal. And um, yeah, it's like, it's like top game engineering. Like you, and the, the, the margin of error is so small. Like if an elevator says it can withstand 2000 pounds, it could probably withstand like 4,500 pounds. Yeah. But when, it, when a rocket says it can withstand so much, so many pounds of force, the margin is probably not as large as it is for like literally almost any other industry. Because we don't have the luxury, like astronautical engineers don't have the luxury of adding more weight. You know, you can make something stronger and resist more, but you don't need more weight and we don't have that kind of luxury. So the margins are like a lot smaller. It's not, it's like most engineering has margins like one time, two time, three time margins. Mm-hmm. Aerospace is like in the 0.5 margin type thing, you know? Dang. For a lot, for a lot of things. Other things have, have, have higher, higher, higher margins and stuff. And so, uh. How do they even like develop the calculations? Like, I'm just thinking of like the history because they used to do this stuff on like like a like a little calculator, right? Like, how do you how do you even conceptualize that? Just like all the way out there. Dude, I don't I don't know. I'm gonna be honest with you. All I know is nowadays we have software that does a lot of this. So <laughs> <laughs> um, but for example, for rockets, there's a rocket equation, mm-hmm. and that governs pretty much. Um, yeah, like it just governs pretty much how rockets work, like how to get something into orbit and stuff. You gotta get a, a certain amount of velocity, right? And and there's ISP, which is specific impulse, and then um, there's thrust. And you know, the more thrust you have, usually you have less ISP, so more force, but less efficiency. And the more efficiency, the less force you have. Mm-hmm. So something you have to balance out and uh, and so forth. And then there is ways to catch. So right, okay, and then you have the the multiple body problem. So orbits, uh, it's all gravi- gravity, right? Mm-hmm. Like new- Newton, Newtonian yeah. physics and so forth. And uh, you need to calculate for all the gravity. So the way it works is, for example, the Earth is being pulled by X number of objects, which are being pulled by themselves and the Earth and so forth. Anyways, that becomes impossible to solve. So we, we, we estimate. We do what engineers do. We guesstimate. Yeah. It's not physics. Um, and basically you estimate and so for example when you calculate the orbit of like a planet you for example for earth you would consider like the sun and then if you're like you become more accurate you consider maybe like jupiter saturn maybe the other planets too but that's about it like you don't start considering like other st- even the other things affected you don't consider those because it would become impossible to solve um but yeah no, it's pretty it's pretty wild i remember you were telling me about these books um last year 
like you know these books like a uh, pale white horse the one with the cia you, you're telling me about like a, a lot of these uh these these folk books because i was telling you about philosophy you're like dude fuck philosophy man <laughs> you're like let me let me give you some real knowledge do you remember this i remember i remember a couple that i told you i remember the cia one but i remember i give you one about the history of columbia which yeah is really interesting um yeah, dude, I don't know. It's, what, do, it's, what do you think about... Tell me about Columbia. Tell me about Columbia. Uh, it's it's weird, dude. It's different than most other Latin American countries. Mm-hmm. So, uh, it's pretty xenophobic. It's pretty bad. Not not as much anymore, but for example, if you look at the US... Wait, US that's surprising because, like, isn't it... They have, like, a huge population there that's, like, that's like black, right? Yeah, yeah, no, they're not like, xenophobic. Uh, they're just xenophobic with, like, people from other countries. Oh, uh, you know okay, I'm saying? Actually, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there, there's still racism. Don't, don't get me wrong. There's still racism. Really? Yeah. yeah. I'll, I'll, okay, I'll get okay, to okay. it. So most countries, for example, like the U.S. has like large migrations like throughout history from like different countries like China, Japan, Mexico, uh, pretty much all of Europe, Africa, so forth. Um, and Latin America has migrations too. Like for example, Brazil has like the second largest or like the largest uh, Japanese town, like Japantown. Um because that immigration from Japanese workers, Suriname had like Indian people, just for Indian people, Chile, Uruguay, Paraguay, Argentina, they have like Nazis. Um, and they also have like a lot of Jewish people and so forth. Uh, obviously not to the scale that the US has. And so I was wondering, cause I was looking into that and the one country that didn't have any like, or like Peru has got a lot of like Asian people that migrated to there. But the one country that didn't have that diversity was Colombia. I just couldn't understand why. Like, why would we not have immigrants? And um, some of it was the U.S.'s fault. The U.S. telling Colombia like not to take in. Why would they? Yeah. So it's like after World War Two, a lot of the countries took in like refugees from like the Axis powers, like yeah. Jewish people and so forth. And so, so for Colombia, they take in Jewish people because they're all Catholic and they were pretty like discriminatory against Jewish people. But they didn't take on Nazis and all that because the U.S. was like. Like, the Columbia was worried about a U.S. invasion um, if they took in, like... Because I think the president of Columbia was friends with, like, Mussolini. Mm-hmm. So I think they had to, like, say no to taking on any of those immigrants. Because uh, they would have to worry about, like, the U.S. getting mad about that, you know? And then when it comes to other immigrations, like, the Columbia's always had, like, a policy that's, like, not favorable to immigrants. So And I came to realize, like, that's, that's why. And so lately, there's been a few migrations coming from like the Middle East and so forth uh, but not to the scale that like other countries have we have high we, we, we are getting a lot of immigrants from Venezuela because of everything that's going on there yeah so that's been pretty pretty interesting um, what's going on in Venezuela because that just like I remember hearing about that I had a bunch of people at my school who were um, Venezuela ref- yeah yeah they were refugees from Venezuela yeah so basically imagine like Kuwait yeah. Like Venezuela's got the second largest proven oil reserves in the world. Yeah. Right? So, back in the day, everybody would move there. Like, going from Colombia to Venezuela is like, from going, like moving from Mexico to the U.S. Everybody wanted to move to Venezuela because they, they paid for your education. They paid for you to study abroad if you want to. They literally had, like, you, as soon as you cross the border, the roads become go from, like, shitty roads to, like, you know, fucking L.A., 10-lane highways. Maybe not 10-lane highways, but you know what I mean. I got you. Um... Yeah, so it was it was it was a great place to be, and all that money came from oil. And then in the late nineteen nineties, uh, 
someone became president. So everybody moved to Venezuela and they actually they would get very mad because a lot of Colombians would move there and they would get mad at Colombians for moving there. But then in the late 1990s, there was this guy, uh, Chavez, who became president, right? And he, he was socialist, right? He was socialist and um, he was able to manage the country okay. Like the country was doing okay. Uh, but he would support like the communist uh, guerrilla groups in Colombia, and so that's why we nobody in Colombia liked him. Like everybody pretty much hated him, and a lot of people in Venezuela didn't like him, especially like welfare people. Uh, but he, but the country was doing well, and he was managing it okay. And he, he honestly had some good ideas and everything. So he stayed in power for like over ten years. Like, it was crazy. Um, but there's a lot of reason that to believe that he was corrupt. So even though a lot of people did, did like him, uh, there's a lot of reason to believe that he was corrupt and that he maintained power through like rigging elections and so forth. Anyways, he passes away and uh, oil prices plummet, right? Oil prices, prices plummet and the economy of Venezuela is so tied to the price of oil, what happens, uh, that the economy just tanks. So they have like a recession, it's horrible. And then he passes away, and then he hands the power to like his vice president or whatever, mm. who was Nicolas Maduro, who was actually a bus driver in Colombia. Like Comey's not like like nothing against bus drivers, but like, Comey's just not not like not qualified, not qualified to be president. Like I don't I don't know what to, like, there's no other way to prove it. He's not even from Venezuela, but the constitution says that you have to be from Venezuela. Like, he's been proven that he's not even from Venezuela, or whatever. Um, yeah, homie just does not know how to manage the country, and he's super corrupt, so we keep rigging elections, you know, so he keeps getting re-elected, you know. Um, but just absolute chaos, like, the, the the economy tanks, he prints more money, so then they have, like, super hyperinflation, and it's horrible, and uh, they're using military to suppress protests, use military to make sure that nobody else gets elected, he's got control of the military, corrupt military, and so forth. Uh, so while everybody's like starving in Venezuela and like if you go to the supermarkets like there's nothing there um, the rich people are like in Miami parting it up uh, they have their money in dollars so they're chilling and so yeah so people just you know they can't make a living they can't live there you know the the inequality is through the roof like the amount of pe- the people who like can live there are like super rich and then everybody else is like poor and like you need to either move away or like become extra poor and that's the that's the big problem that's happening right there Damn. so that's why people are migrating to Colombia. I, di- I didn't know well i mean i knew about it but i didn't know that it was like is there any way to like resolve it like is is it getting better or is it just like it's just a thing they i think they control their hyperinflation now there's it's a high inflation okay so i think it's getting better but i mean the best thing to do is to like get a new leader mm-hmm so there was this guy who was supposed to be like who the U.S. recognizes as the legitimate like president of Venezuela, or whatever. The only problem is that like although the guy's probably better than the dictator they have, I don't know if the guy's necessarily good. Right? Like when you have something that's so far left, then people choose something that's way too far right, and it might not be better, right? Yeah. So, I don't know. I don't know. The, I mean, in all honesty, it, the best thing that can happen is like change of leadership, and then deal with corruption. But I don't see a bright future in the near. I don't see anything bright in the near future. Mm-hmm. Um, oh yeah, and so now they've been taking loans from like China and, and Russia, and then they can't pay the loans, so their oil, uh, so 
China and Russia taking over their oil fields. So, like, something that should be the patrimony of, like, the people is being taken by another country, which that's horrible. Um, that's a big problem. One of the things that... So, it actually used to be one country. So, Panama, Ecuador, Colombia, and Venezuela used to be one country. And the previous leader wanted to make that a reality again. So, that could be a solution. Probably not likely, but, the, like... The countries are so similar, like, if Venezuela get absorbed by Colombia, became a country again. But that's probably not going to happen, you know, because Colombia is more stable. It's, like, the only country in Latin America that never had hyperinflation. Hmm. We were talking about Colombia. We were talking about some of the racism. So the racism, um, yeah, so the racism stems from... Um, so basically this is what happened. So Colombia had slaves, yeah. um, kind of like the U.S. And then when we got our independence, uh, kind of like or George Washington, Simon Bolivar, said that slaves would still still be slaves, but their children would be free. Yeah. Right? And so that's why there was no like racism, like civil war like there was here. Uh, but before that happened, while it was still a colony of Spain, there's a group of slaves that escaped and they formed their own like kind of like state in Colombia and so if you look at a map of like Colombia um, certain regions are more Afro-Colombian than other ones right so they're more black but those regions tend to be a lot poorer right so those regions are like really rich in minerals and like uh, the weather is great and everything but those regions are a lot poorer and so there's this kind of like um, inherent racism of like people of color being poor so it's being seen as like less favorable if you know what i'm saying and there's also like racism from like a beauty standard where it's like the beauty standard is like you know having like white eyes and like uh be be white and so forth uh, sorry having blue eyes and be white and so forth and so there is like a racism in, in that sense uh but it's it's not as prone as it is here in the u.s where there's like aggression and like people say like the n-word or anything like that we don't have anything like that it, it's just it's just a uh kind of thing where like because of circumstances and like Colombia not being a place where like it's easy to move up the socioeconomic ladder, the descendants of those slaves and the black people, um, their families have stayed in the lower socioeconomic ladder, mm-hmm. like a, a big part of them, than the descendants like white Spaniards. Yeah. So that's created some divide and the whole beauty center thing makes it so like there's not as much, I mean, there is a lot more mixing than there is here, but not enough mixing where like, you know, you have like a lot of interracial families, just like, Right. But there is a lot more, a lot more, it is, there's more interracial families in Colombia. It's not even a thing, like, it, it's like a spectrum, so like, you would, you don't even call them like interracial families. Uh, but yeah, and then there's discrimination against like the native, the native Americans or native Colombians because they're seen as like less developed. Um, yeah, they're seen as like less developed and like dumber and stuff like that, which is definitely wrong. And, uh. You know, it's being dealt with and people recognize it nowadays, but still, still like uh, a big problem and they're marginalized communities and uh, they usually tend to be in poorer regions of the country as well. So going from there to America, what was that like, the difference? Uh, I don't know. America was like more individualistic. So people here like like to do things by themselves and like once people turn 18, like they move away from their house and everything. And Columbia, you, you're pretty close to your community. In a sense that, like, you're friends with your friends for life. And, like, you live with your parents until, you, you know, you find a partner to, like, move out with. So, like, people don't live by themselves. So, it's kind of like a relationship where, like, 
you know, you take care of your parents and stuff, and, like, you live with them and adopt to pay rent and so forth uh, until, you know, it's time to move out, you know, until, like, the late 20s and so forth. You don't go to college in a different state. You kind of go to college in, like, the same city that you are in, or, like, same state or something. Um, so you can live at home and stuff and, like, be close to your family. Uh, when you're at school, like, everybody helps each other. So, like, for example, there's a test, like, the way cheating would work is, like, you got all the students cheating together, right? So it's not, like, you're cheating and, like, like here, there's all, like, people just, like, trying to find ways of, like, cheating on tests and stuff. And, like, uh, some people are being snitches and, like, snitching out. But when you, like, not not that I cheat, but I'm just mm-hmm. saying. Uh, but, like, in Columbia, when, like, people, like, when kids would cheat on tests and stuff like that, it'd be, like, a communal effort in, mm-hmm. like, that sense. Um, but there's also lack of, like, diversity in the sense that, like, you know, because everybody's so communal and cares so much about like what people think of them and so forth everybody dresses the same everybody like likes kind of the same stuff and so mm-hmm. forth like obviously it's like that's not true but it's true to an extent where like you know here in the u.s you see people dress like in all kinds of clothing or, like listen to all kinds of music and just like all kinds of like decorations all kinds of like things they do and in Columbia you oftentimes don't see that variety in like you know taste in music or like dressing or or uh yeah just stuff like that in general mm-hmm. because you know everybody kind of like kind of like assimilates into like one big community interesting interesting so what are some of your what are some of your grand ambitions for the future that, uh, you, that, that you can talk about yeah but like why did you come to stanford specifically right like why what did you want to accomplish here okay um actually so i want to make a startup and like stanford's like the place to do it i guess you know mm-hmm. like, i got i looked online not that i mean i do want to be rich but i looked online like school where the alumni are the richest and stanford's number two with the most like millionaires and billionaires, Stanford's number two, and it's only because Harvard's been around for like ever, you know. Yeah. And so I thought that was pretty cool. Um, Stanford's a really good like the top top two airspace departments in the nation, so that's insane. So yeah, so I came to Stanford because I want to make a startup in the airspace industry, especially astronautics, uh, and it could be anything dealing with like satellites or uh, rockets, plasma propulsion, rover you know spacesuits anything that has to do with the space industry is something I want to do and uh, something I really want is like get experience first um, in the field and so like you know work in the industry for a while and see what it's like and everything and then from then hopefully move on into like what I want to do um, the only thing is that I've had a lot of trouble getting jobs in the industry mm. uh, which has been tough for me but yeah that's what I want to do. And then uh, other ambitions. Uh, no, someday I want to be like a guest lecturer. When I, when I give like a class or something here, that would be kind of cool. That would be, the, that'd be awesome. Yeah, there's a lot of people who like work at Google and stuff and like give guest lectures or have like their own like stuff and they, they give guest lectures. So I think I'm going to try to do that someday. I like uh, get in touch with the department when I'm older and uh, try to do that, which would be really cool. Um, I also came to Stanford because it seemed like it was the most fun, right? Like people always make fun of like the parties not being big here, not being crazy. And like, I mean, it's, it's true. Like, it's not like uh, bigger schools, but I think they're better. You know, I think they're better than like the other schools of the same like caliber, if you will, mm-hmm. I guess. Like, I'm, I'm sure that like, we have more fun parties than like Harvard or something. Yeah. There's no way. Yeah. But um, 
So that's why I came here. But I think I think something that's been weird is that people always like criticize, find stuff to criticize when they come here, and they say, "Oh my god, like this school has this, this school has this." Yeah. But I think people don't realize that the grass always looks greener on the other yeah, side. Yeah, you know. True. It's like you know, from afar, it might look like your friends are having more fun at their school, uh, your high school friends and something. But I really think uh, it doesn't get too much better. It's a good mindset to have. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's something you always realize. It's something that I've realized in life is like you always think something is great mm-hmm. until you're on the other side of it, and then you're like, "Wait a second. Like, you know, grass always looks greener on the other side. Like, for example, even like I think as an immigrant, like when you go back home and stuff, like people like idolize like moving to like a developed country. Like, oh my god, you go, you're in the U.S. Like that must be amazing. You must make so much money. But what people don't realize is like when you move to U.S. as an immigrant, especially you're not here just like making tons of money. You're working your ass off. Mm-hmm. Like you're working ridiculous amounts of like ridiculous amounts of time, and uh, and everything is a lot more expensive here too. So it's like you don't get to pocket all the money. Like it is true that you can afford things that you couldn't back home, um, but it doesn't make you like higher class or anything like that. Like it's it's not what people make it out to be. Like there is more opportunity here, so it's great. I'm not saying it's not great, but it's not as almighty as people think. Mm-hmm. And like same thing with like for example like the Scandinavian countries, like people in the US always talk about like, oh my god, they have like socialized healthcare and this and that. Like it must be amazing to live there. But I think people always forget to realize that like it 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 looks great and it sounds good on paper, but there there's always a but, mm-hmm. right? And you know if you look into it, you know some of those countries have some of the highest rates of depression. You know I wonder why. My man is lighting my candles on fire. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'll stop. I'll stop. <laughs> no, no, no. I'll stop. Go for I'll it. Go them. for it. Go for it. Some <laughs> things are meant to be burnt. Some things are meant to be burnt. But yeah, so that's my uh, that's my take on it. You know, there's a uh, really cool theory that's like, why countries in like the developed world uh, tend to be away from the equator, and why countries in the developing world tend to be closer to the equator. It's cool. I guess it'll work more. You gotta hustle. It's because you have to plan for winter. Oh. Right, like if you like, you know, if you go to like a tropical country, let's say you by the by the ocean, you know, uh, you know, you grab you grab a yucca plant, you know, you, you put it in the ground, put some water on, and then it grows. You have a plant that has fruit, and then you grab that fruit, you put it on a fish hook, you toss it on the ocean, you pull it in, you got fish. You know what I'm saying? You go, you get a coconut right there all year round. If you go to bed at night, you don't need a blanket, bro. It's, you know, the day is 80, 80 degrees, 90 degrees. You're not going to freeze to death. At night, it's 60, 70 degrees. Uh, Perfect, perfect for sleeping. Yeah, the land just provides. So when the land provides, there's no need. There's, There's no need to, like, you don't have to build a shed to keep weed in you don't have to build a car to transport stuff you don't have to race cattle all you have to do is you know grab your beer eat some food get a hammock and just chill by the ocean pretty great life honestly yeah but that's why it's the developing world because in the US and stuff they have to build infrastructure to like make sure people don't die in the winter yeah I heard something about like the New England colonies that they developed well because there was so much lumber and it was so harsh, but I don't know. I don't know how much I haven't, I haven't read personally. I mean, there's this one book like guns, germs and dangerous steel that I need to read, but 
It makes sense too. I think about it. Like the New England colonies, like you were saying, yeah, they were northern. They they were more developed than the the southern colonies. Yeah. Because the southern colonies just depended on like how amazing the land was. You know, you just grow tobacco. You but know? it wasn't like India and like China, like way before like the Industrial Revolution. Like they were like the most developed in like the entire world, and they aren't. I don't. Well, I mean, I'm sure some parts of China and some parts of India. Oh, but, okay, but you know, so China. So the thing, China. Uh, it's pretty big. In northern China actually gets a lot of snow. It mm-hmm. has pretty harsh, some of the harshest winters in the world. The most developed part is northern China. So is it actually? Beijing is. And then the least developed parts of China are the ones that are not coastal, like the desert and like Tibet and so forth, and southern, the southern cities. Except for Hong Kong and Taiwan. Taiwan though. But that's like, it's like uh, that was different. Uh, Hong Kong and Taiwan was different, right? Okay. That, was, that, was, that was a different thing. We, we, there's exceptions to the rule. And then India... Same thing. The more developed, the more developed part of India with more industry is northern India, where there are mountains. It gets colder and so forth. And then the le- the less developed part is southern India, where you just grow coconuts and you you grow your curry. <laughs> oh, I didn't know that. Cool. But but I mean they're, they're like there there are exceptions to the rule. Like I'm not saying it's like a a hard rule, but the exceptions usually come from like other other constraints. For example, like Singapore. Mm-hmm. Singapore is an exception. I think we're super developed, super tropical. Well, I think Singapore developed really fast because of its location, right? Because of for trade routes. I know it's just because it, they had like a really good government. Yeah, but so part of the problem is when you have such a small place like Singapore, Hong Kong, and so forth, you don't have many resources, right? So you have to figure out how to like allocate them properly. But when you're in a big tropical place, you know, you, everybody's got food, everybody's got everything, everybody's chill. I guess you know what I'm saying. So it's interesting. It's interesting. It's interesting. Okay, okay, so a bit of a topic switch. Topic switch. Mm-hmm. Abstractly, what are your what is your opinion on friendship? What does friendship mean to you? Um Bro, honestly, friendship it's it's a lot of things, you know, and it can mean whatever you want and it can mean different things with different people, but it's definitely just like uh just a bond with someone who is not like Yeah, just a bond with some with another being. Mm-hmm. Just a bond with another organism on this earth. Um, it's a bond with another organism of this earth and that, that's it that's it it can be positive it can be negative um, and it can be strong you know it depends on how much time you put into it or it can be weak it can just be someone you see every now and then and like you guys are still friends yeah it's usually someone you care about usually someone like you care about or like something you care about you know I don't know like are, are animals something or are they someone or something. I mean, you can have animal friends. No, I mean, I'm saying they're friends, but like, should I call them something or someone? Because you don't call them they, you don't call them he, she, you call them it. Oh, yeah, you'd be a thing. I think it would be an animal would be a thing. Yeah. So, yeah, so that's 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 my take on it. But I think it's pretty, it's, it's a pretty powerful thing. It'd be a really powerful thing. Mm-hmm. I think you can be friends with like your brothers, or you can be friends with your parents, you can be friends with random people. You could be friends with people you grew up with. You could lose friendships and stop being friends with someone or creating new friendships all the time. And I think the amount of time you put into it and the amount of time they put into it, I don't know, defines the strength of it. (coughs) (coughs) I think it's directly correlated. Let's make it like an equation. Compatibility times time. Mm. Right? So like, uh, compatibility between the two people and the time you put into it 
And so the more compatible they are, the less time you need to put into it to be strong. But it doesn't matter. Like, so you guys have low compatibility, but still positive compatibility. Your friendship can still become stronger, but it just requires more time. But are you willing to put in that time? I mean, the yeah, 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 yeah. How much time you put in is sometimes based on how compatible they are, right? I mean, right. So you know, then you 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 want to get a maximum, right? So, yeah. So linear equation, you want to get the maximum. So you want to find the most compatible person and put the time that you can into it because your reward just to strengthen that friendship will be stronger than like putting this amount of time with someone you're less compatible with. Yeah. I don't know, man. This compatibility is a weird thing because, like, I know some of my friends who I've known for, like, eight years. When I first met them, like, I did not think that we were compatible. Or, or rather, I wasn't thinking about compatibility, but it just seemed so unlikely that we would be have a really great friendship that would last that long. I mean, compatibility is something that changes, right? Like, mm-hmm. it's, not, it's not set in stone because your personality changes as you age. But also, it's not something you can really just, like, see. Like, you don't just see... Like you, you don't decide if you're compatible. It's just something yeah. that is. And like, if you're good at telling whether you're compatible or not, like, good. But you can't really tell if you're good at telling. You know what I'm saying? So maybe yeah. you guys were compatible and you just didn't know. Because you guys don't have to be similar. You know, a lot of times opposites attract. So compatibility might be just being polar opposites, mm-hmm. right? Interesting to think about it that way. And then uh, maybe you guys were not compatible, but you put enough time and effort into the friendship that like it became a strong friendship. Hmm. Do you think that your personality really changes? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if I agree with that. It does, it does. But I think... What makes you say that? Guru. Guru? Guru's changed a lot in the past, like, quarter. How so? He's become a more open person. He... I think... Okay, so I think you're a product of the interactions you have with other beings. You see what I'm saying? And so I think your personality is dependent on that as well. Does that make sense? And I think the fact that those beings have on your personality is stronger when you're younger. But, but in order for you to become less dependent, like in, in order for you or your, yourself or your personality to become less dependent on like a singular other personality or other person, you need to spend time with more people mm. because those people will influence your personality and then you as a whole would get divided into more interactions. And so that one person becomes less, a uh, smaller part of the pie, mm-hmm. if you will, you know? And I think uh, I, I've seen friends here in college and stuff that as they meet more people, you know, they come from like backgrounds where like they have really strong beliefs about something, but as they meet more people and interact with more people, those beliefs change and they're more open to like different ideas and ways of living. Well, I, sometimes I wonder, though, is that really the personality changing? And the reason why I say this is because I remember over the summer last last year, I was talking to this girl, and she um, she's like, you know, I, I very much don't like, um, I don't I really, I very much don't empathize with people. I just don't really much like people. I like to just be absolutely by myself. And, you know, she loves to read, and one of her, some of her favorite books are like, you know, Dostoevsky, and these are some really psychological books, and in order to read them, like, the author really relates with people and the characters in it. And so one thing that was always interesting to me is, like, why do you have, why are you having problems relating with other people, but you're not having problems relating with people in these books? Is it really because you um, you don't like people or because you just have this wrong belief about people that, you know, people can't relate to you? 
And the reason why I say this is because I feel like if she were to change and become open and start meeting people, I wouldn't say that her personality has changed. I would just say that she would remove a blocker. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I know what you're saying. I think, right, so I think uh, there's two things. There's three things actually to uncover there. Um, dude, is your Kindle okay? Dude, you're like dropping like. Oh, it's like cracking. Yeah, because you're, you're you're literally lighting it on fire. You're dropping like um like rope into it. There we go. You're gonna make it explode. But I'm just telling, like, why would fire make the fucking outer shell crack? Dude, I don't, I don't know. Is it cracking? Yeah, dude, that's the sound that I made. Damn. You're just you're gonna light this place on fire, man. <laughs> That'll be the last podcast episode. <laughs> but get ready, it's about to go fire. <laughs> um I think I think okay, I think first of all, interacting with those characters in the book mm-hmm. are a type of interaction. So I think as she interacts with them and they influence her, her personality does evolve and change. So there is there's multiple things. First of all, as you get older, so mm-hmm. like I saw you, this pie Right, this pie, your personality, yeah, is divided into all your interactions and the people that influence it. Right, mm-hmm. as you get older, you have so many of those that every single interaction you have has less of an effect on you. So the ones that have the biggest effect and the, the ones that are the most defining for your personality are the ones that aren't really on. Because as you get older, adding interactions is a smaller and smaller part of the pie. See what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So that's the first thing that's important to to to, to understand. Second thing, um. Yeah, so interacting with those characters in the book are a type of interaction with another being. May, I mean, it's fictional, but it's another being. But those don't don't necessarily represent the way that people are in the actual world, right? So maybe that's part of the reason why she doesn't want to interact with people. But maybe she just doesn't realize that people... I mean, because a lot of times characters are painted to be a certain way and real people are unpredictable. I think maybe she's a, she's afraid of something like that, mm-hmm. you know. But um, I think she might just be close to it because she doesn't realize that people in the real world are just like those characters, you know, and so forth. And I think, um, but I think her personality changes. I, don't, I mean, her not interacting with people doesn't mean her personality doesn't change. It just means that you don't see it because she keeps it to herself, I guess, mm. right? But just because personality can change and changes doesn't mean it changes that ma- that, that much. It, it just means it, it changes as you get older and so forth. Um, and there's evidence of that. Like, uh, for example, my father used to be more, like, hot-headed. And as he got older, he's become more calm and, like, relaxed with life and so forth. And I'm sure you've seen a little bit of change in your parents and, like, the way your parents act yeah. and so forth, yeah. right? So think about it. So the small – I mean, they're still your dad, right? Like, it's not, like, an unrecognizable – but you know, small personality changes here and there, and I think yourself. You know, you could probably find times where you were there. You used to act different than other people. So your personality changes and so forth. Um, so yeah, I do. I do think it changes. I think there's parts of it that are biological mm-hmm. in your genes, and that's unchangeable. But I think a lot of it too. It's like they've done research where like genes, um, like traits, act up when you're put in a special like environment that makes it act up. So you might have a gene for something, but it might not show because you're not put in that environment that makes it show. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And so that might be part of it. So even though some of your personality might be embedded in the genes, it might also be that like the environment that your parents put you in or that you were born in activated certain traits that trigger those like biological traits, if you will. 
It's kind of kind of a lot, so it might be a little confusing. I get you. I mean, I get you. Because I I think that even how much you change is a trait in itself. Because it's like I feel like I don't know. I don't know. I I still hold to my core belief that you don't change that much, or you change very little. Because I feel like for me, um, like sometimes I'm, I'm I'm really extroverted. Sometimes I'm not really extroverted. But when I'm extroverted, it depends. It's like you know. Do I feel like I can be myself around this group of people, right? And so, do whether or not like I'm extroverted or not, right? Like my personality like isn't really changing. It's just that like I just there is like you know sometimes I feel like I can express it. Sometimes I feel like I can't. And I feel like in as I've as I've grown as I've gone to Stanford, I've learned you know you know I should express myself more just in general because a lot of times you don't even know a person might have a lot of interests that like are just like yours but you don't know until you at least try and you know try to express yourself um and so that might seem like i'm getting more extroverted but i, I still feel like i'm the same me you know you know what i'm saying or, i don't know i mean it's also i think like I mean, that's true. I mean, I I'm not I'm not saying you're wrong, but it could also be the kind of fact that like you don't see changes on yourself. You know? That 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 also could be true. Like for example, when you're growing up, you know, and, like you visit like relatives that you visit like once a year, like oh my god, you've grown up so much. Like you look at yourself like oh, I haven't changed that much. <laughs> it isn't until you put like pictures of like you way back then and now mm-hmm. to see the real change. But if you compare yourself like a little increments, it doesn't look like you changed so much, right? That's fair. That's fair. What are some role models to you? Role models? Uh, dude, my uncle was crazy. Crazy? Yeah, homie, like, um, he was born in, like, the 30s. Okay. So that's old. So that's old. Uh, but he's a great person. Was Super he in World time. War Two? No, no, no. Because he was a student. Okay. No, no, because he's too young. He's too young. His dad was, his dad was, his dad was, uh, made like a mayor in Germany after they destroyed Germany or something. Anyways. Wait, how did he go from Germany to Colombia? No, no, he's, uh, he's not like my biological uncle, he's like my, my aunt's husband. Okay. But anyway, so he was born in the 30s, whatever, he grows up, his dad is in war for a few years, um, blah, blah, blah. Homie, literally like after high school, starts hitchhiking to college. Like, he hitchhikes. So he just talks to truckers and they tell him all his, the stories about, like, he, them cheating on their wives or, like, doing stuff like that. And then he goes to, like, Michigan, spends the summer at Harvard, then goes to, uh, what's the other one? No, first he goes to, um, to Lehigh. Lehigh University. Yeah, I know that. It's yeah. Pennsylvania. Yeah. Yeah, it is, it is. He's from the, he's from the East Coast. Yeah. Um, I think he, no, he's from New York, Buffalo, New York. Anyways, so yeah, Lehigh, yeah, he's from New York, but he goes to school in Lehigh. So Lehigh University, then spends the summer at Harvard doing school, then goes to, um, Michigan, does like sociology and like architecture or whatever. Becomes the first person, like second person ever. It's like first group to go into Peace Corps. The what? Peace Corps. Peace Corps, okay. 
So they meet President Kennedy or whatever, shake their hand, and then get sent out to um, Tanganyika. Tanganyika. What's that? In Africa. Okay. So before Tanzania existed, there was two countries in Africa, Tanzania like, and two other, I think it was like Uganda or something, but it was called Tanganyika. Look up Tanganyika. Tanganyika. And so anyways, they go there to build roads. So they go there, they build roads, whatever. And he just loves it. Like He goes around, gets a motorcycle, travels in like his free time throughout Africa, goes to South Africa, uh, hitchhikes on a Jeep with a cheetah in the back. Um, no way. Next to the cheetah, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're making that up. No, I cannot make it up. There used to be a whole bunch of mango trees, but he hated them because they were too stringy. Um, yeah, no, he just made some of his best friends there too. Like he was crazy, um, you know, build those roads, explore everything. He and then this was like in the sixties or whatever. There was like the Cuban Missile Crisis going on, so he goes up, and then he finds a newspaper from two years ago. A American newspaper from two years reads it, and then. Talks about the Cuban Missile Crisis, and then he's like, "What have I missed?" Like, he has his hiatus, like just building roads in Africa, and right? he he like missed all that back home. Um. Anyways, I think I told you some of the stories, but um, he then goes back home, and uh, he goes to uh, like South America, right? So he goes to South America. Um, he gets he gets on a boat, gets hepatitis from donating blood or something. Becomes a chef on a boat, like a yacht or something, in like the Caribbean, and goes to like Puerto Rico, lives there for six months, and travels the rest of the islands, and gets to South America on a motorcycle, and then travels throughout South America with like one friend or his girlfriend or something, um, throughout South America in a motorcycle. That is in crazy. like the sixties, like seventies. It was crazy. So his homie just be riding the motorcycle and lives in Sao Paulo or Brazil. You know, is Rio actually Rio for a few months? Teaches English. In like some schools, goes to Bolivia, has to go hide in like someone's house. I think it was like Bolivia, Peru, because like the the president got like shot or something. So everything was going crazy in that country. So he has to go hide. Keeps going through Argentina. Motorcycle breaks down like five million times. He gets pissed and throws it out into the ocean. Comes back to the U.S. He gets another motorcycle and then goes up, and this is like a complete hippie. Actually, no, uh, he goes up to like, you know, he does like the Summer of Love stuff mm-hmm. in like, uh, in here in California. Summer of Love lives in San Francisco for a little bit. Wait, was the Summer of Love where like a bunch of people got kidnapped? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, it was like a hippie festival or whatever. Yeah, Summer of Love, um, he works with Cesar Chavez, who is like a huge guy with the agriculture community here and like, and immigrants here in, in California and helps them. And he works like he's like he like, meets Cesar Chavez, works with him, whatever, throughout like California. He protests against nuclear power back then, and like they made it so it was like they looked up nuclear power like in California or something. Um, I don't know, man. I think that's a mistake, man. Nuclear power is a mistake. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I told him, I tried to explain that to him, but I was like back in the day when I did And people like hated nuclear power. Like, when, back, back in the day when like, hippies were like, no, nuclear power is bad, you know? Yeah. He's always been super progressive. Um, and uh, he just uh, he just rips it, dude. And then he goes, gets a motorcycle, and then drives through Canada all the way to Alaska. Lives there for six months as a fisherman or something. And runs cross-country in Alaska, too. Uh, just loves all the wilderness and stuff. And then drives uh, drives a motorcycle back that's down. That's life. Yeah, yeah, that's insane. By the time by this time he's like 30, sub 30, high 30s, maybe 40, then he finds Idaho. He's driving through Idaho. He's like, you know, that's a nice city. 
Salmon, Idaho. I think he's like, I think when I live there. So he goes into the city, he finds a, a job, and he's like, I think when I work there. So he goes in, talks to him, gets a job, and he's like, he's driving, he's like, I like that house. I think I'm gonna live there. And he's like, <laughs> he's like go get it, he lives there. And I was like, bro, what? <laughs> like, how'd you just say that? Like, yeah. I was gonna live there, dude. Like, in a motorcycle. And then, dude, the crazy thing is, there's a 50cc motorcycle. Like, the motorcycle I used to use, like, used pit bike, there's like a little dirt bike I had. Was like fifty, like sixty cc or something. So it's like it's, it's not a powerful motorcycle. I I do not understand how this man drove it all the way to Alaska and back. But whatever. That's insane. Yeah. So anyways, homie lives there, and then that's where he meets my aunt. So they they meet, and my aunt's exchange student learning English, and uh, they get married, and uh, he settles down. Uh, settles down with my cousin. And, and he becomes a more tame man, and then he goes to Yugoslavia and Afghanistan. What? You say he becomes a more tame man? Yeah, yeah. Next, he just goes all the way. So he goes to Yugoslavia with uh, my cousin, and they go and build houses there after like the whole crisis there, mm-hmm. where he's split into like, multiple countries. And I think he goes to Afghanistan while my cousin is in college, and like helps out there with like building stuff too, and like humanitarian efforts and so forth. And I'm just like blown away. Yeah. On the stuff that this man does, insane, and uh, yeah, he's pretty. He's a pretty stubborn man. But I look. He's still him. alive. Yeah, yeah, he's still alive. He's like eighty now. Whoa, yeah, that's impressive. No, he's, he's a great ass guy. He's a crazy cool guy. But I don't know. Uh, he tells me all the stories, and it's insane. He's got like a whole bunch of like, things from like Africa and like stuff in his like basement. Like they're just hung up, but it's really cool. Dude, man, it's like Theodore Roosevelt. Man, like travel the world. I mean, I mean, so I look up to him because. You know, the question was like, who do you look up to? Because he, he didn't let anything hold him back. Not money, no nothing. He's like, I'm going to do it. He got hepatitis again, too, in the Amazon rainforest. Dang. Yeah, he was like in the Amazon rainforest when he was in South America. And like, he was like some native tribes or whatever. Got hepatitis. He was like on the verge of like dying or something. And anyways, he gets in a canoe. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So while he's there, he developed this whole like thing. He wrote down this whole thing about like teaching English in a better way. And he wants to like publish it. And it's like helping people with like vowel sounds weird sounds like uh, a book I read have you heard of Pedagogy of the Press no uh, it's like this book it was by this like Brazilian um, uh, tutor who came and he taught um, he taught a bunch of the people in Brazil you know how to speak and how to read and um, it was like revolutionary for the time because basically the whole concept was that when you teach somebody something you should work with them to like create knowledge versus like fill them up with knowledge I don't know I haven't had a chance to read it, but I've heard about it from a friend, but it's just... I need to read it sometime. Yeah, it's an interesting book. Who did you hear about it from? Um, one of my friends back home, his name is Joe, at, he goes to Westchester in Pennsylvania. Uh, okay. He's a big philosophy guy. So, uh, I thought you were talking about a different Brazilian person that I know. Oh, okay. No. No. Okay, but anyways, uh, yeah, so let's keep going. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry, you were saying... Yeah, yeah, that's it. Whatever you're a big girl. Okay. So for you, let's talk about romance. What, what do you think makes the ideal relationship? So I'll be honest with you like there's not such thing in the ideal relationship but um what makes a not bad one dude there's like first of all you gotta put work in yeah like people just expect like people have this unrealistic expectation they're just gonna find this like prince charming or like princess and uh, they're just gonna be amazing you know like I'm gonna have this wife and she's gonna just cook for me and like cook for me and like work and we're gonna be perfect and look beautiful and have kids and it's gonna be amazing and uh what people think is like, oh my god him and I, or like her and I, we're gonna like 
just love each other has to be amazing. Uh, but what people don't realize you have to put work in, right? You have to put time. And it's not like it's not like take, 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 you know, it's like you have to put time into getting to know them. You have to put time into spending time with them. You have to put time into helping them through their hardships. You have to put time into just like just meeting their family. You have to put time into, you know, taking a step back and looking things from their view. And that takes time and effort, right? It's, it's not that simple. So that's the first step uh, of what makes a good relationship, not just romantic, but like friendship and everything. So you can't just expect to have this person that like you're just gonna be super compatible with and match with, and it's gonna be a sparse line. Um, you have to put time in, and especially if you want to get through the honeymoon phase and stuff, you know you have to put that time in too. And the second thing is, there's two more things. So second thing is, um, step outside your comfort zone, right? You know you're not gonna find someone who likes the same thing as you. So like sometimes you get to choose what the date idea is and if you want to go watch a movie or whatever, you know, that's what you do, whatever, you know, you make that, you there they go. But sometimes you have to take a sacrifice and like do whatever they want to do. Mm-hmm. Right? So it's part of like putting time in, but it's also putting pushing yourself outside your comfort zone. So sometimes they want to do something. Um, you just have to, either you're not like, you're never done or you're not necessarily like super comfortable with it and you have to put yourself out there and like do it. But you have to have clear boundaries, you know. There's things that I'm willing to do and things I'm not willing to do. And they need to know what that is and you need to define what that is. And that can change. I need to inform them and communicate. Um, but yeah, like for example, let's say like your girlfriend wants to go skydiving. Mm-hmm. And like you don't want to go with her. No, you have to You have to go with her. Like, unless I guess something you really can't do. Right? Because then she'll be like, oh, I, I want to go with some dude. You know, like you want her to go with another dude? No, you don't. So you got you to gotta put, you know, put yourself in that uncomfortable situation to jump off the plane or whatever. Yeah. You know? Um, same thing like in like uh, more intimate things, you know, sometimes, you know, like she wants to do something or like, you know, as long as it's like within your boundaries and stuff, like, and, you know, you might have never done it before, but it'd be fun you know, to try it out. Uh, and just anything all around, just like, you know, oh, I need you to do this when you meet my family, you know, that kind of stuff. And then the last thing, um, so putting yourself out, so first, uh, the last thing is communicating. And you have to be vocal and verbal about what you want, what you're not happy about, and like what you want to do. And they need to be vocal and verbal with you too. Uh, it is the only, the other thing is it is a two two person thing, and so sometimes you find someone that's not willing to do one of those three things, and sadly there's nothing you can do about it. You can be the, you can put as much time in, you can communicate and. You can put yourself outside, like outside your comfort zone as much as you want, but if the other person is not doing the same thing, it's not gonna work. What's the biggest thing that you think that you've learned over time? Just wisdom. The, the like anything. Yeah. yeah. But I literally just the grass looks greener on the other side. Mm-hmm. It always does. Like it always does. And like people just glamorize other things. Mm-hmm. People really like glamorize other things, and like people do not realize that it isn't like that. Also, actually, no, there's something else. It's, uh, you have to hold yourself accountable, okay? It's nobody else's fault, okay? Like, life gives you what you're given, and sometimes that's unfair, and that can be unfair, and, you know, there's things we're doing in the world to change that, and there's change that needs to be done for future generations to not be as unfair, but sadly, now, sometimes it can be unfair, but you're accountable for your own success and failure. And 
you know, um, you know, I'm, I'm not saying, I'm not trying to, I'm not saying that like you need to, I'm not, I'm not trying to give that whole argument that like people are poor because they don't put work in. That's not true. But, uh, but your own success and what you do and like your happiness comes from within mm-hmm. and you have to put that time in and work in and you have to just whatever you were given and make the most of it. You know, and it's, it might be tougher than other people. It might be easier than other people to get to where you want to get to. Uh, but you're accountable for it. Mm-hmm. Nobody else is. And nobody else is. And same thing for your happiness. Like, you're accountable for your own happiness and finding that. And it can be tough. And you might have to find help. But you, you're accountable for that thing. And you're accountable for what you reap out of life. You're accountable for your success and just about anything and your failures. And you need anytime you fail you need to just get back up and keep going like that's just life you know you failed what are you, you you got three options like right? you got two options you either you know sit down and sorrow or you keep going and i think you can go in is the one i would go with and i would recommend people go with um yeah dude just hold yourself accountable and just move forward and uh yeah and just realize that the grass always looks greener on the other side too when you compare yourself to other people I think that's um, a good place to end it. Isn't it? Thank you Thank so you much. Thank you so much for uh, coming on, Sam.